Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. As we look today at... um, 21 years ago, the, uh, the attack on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and those different um, horrible events, you know, as we kind of reflect back, you know, it, it's common that when there are events like that, um, events that are sudden and shocking and devastating, we not only remember the event, but very likely we also remember exactly where we were and what we were doing when we heard about it. Certainly people who were alive um, back in the early 40s uh, remember Pearl Harbor, and they remember not just the attack on Pearl Harbor, but they remember where they were, what was, what was happening in their lives on that fateful Sunday. Or November 22nd, 1963, the day that John Kennedy was assassinated, Um, You know, people remember that, but they also remember where they were. And so as we're we're remembering September 1st, we we remember we remember, excuse me, September 11th. We remember not only the news, um, but we we can remember where we were, what we were doing, just kind of that that moment in time seems to be be frozen. And those, those type of events happen and they, they become etched in our, our minds. Now, the things that we, we need to remember is that it not only affects a nation, but we're also affected on a, a personal level. Um, in the Bible, there is a, a story like that. It's not, not one of the more common Bible stories, but in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is teaching, and it says about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. So this morning as as we remember September 11th, I want us to first of all consider some of the lessons that, that we can take away from that experience. But I also want to speak more to a, a personal level. The first thing that we need to understand when when horrific events happen in in our lives, whether it's on a national scale such as the the attack that, that occurred or whether it's on a personal level, the thing we need to understand is life is uncertain. You know, I, I, we need to understand that every day people have someone in their life who didn't survive. They maybe were in a car wreck or maybe um, in surgery, but every day people have someone who did not survive. 
Every day, people must abruptly face uh, the uncertainty of a new future. Every day, tragedy touches individuals' lives. And notice that that when the news came to Jesus, it said those whose blood was spilt were worshiping. You know, who, who would expect that? You know, that while you're at church, while you are doing something that is good, something that is that is uh, positive, something that that is honorable, that you would expect to be murdered. And yet, sadly, we see that even now in our own country, don't we? Churches that, you know, for for a long time, the church was a, a place of, of refuge. It was a, a place where historically you could go and be safe. Did you know that there is now a national database that keeps records of shootings in churches? Uh, it has become so common that they track that now. And between 1980 and 2005, there were 139 shootings in churches. 185 people died, including 36 children. And certainly more recently, there's been a church shooting in California, um, one in Texas, uh, in uh, Charlton's, Charlton, Charleston. I don't know why I can't talk today. South Carolina um, and, and up in Illinois. You know, the thing that we need to, to remember is life is uncertain. Nothing is guaranteed. Skyscrapers crash, and so do stock markets. Rebels attack, and children rebel. Bodies get broken, and so do re- relationships. You know, our, our health declines, marriages fail. Every day things happen that we, we cannot necessarily expect or plan. Crisis should remind us that life, you know, that we have actually very little control. You know, we, when we're confronted with acts of violence, especially, there, there's a sense of helplessness and a, a sense of, of everything's just not the way it's supposed to be. You know, we grieve when, when we go through the processes of divorce and, and other such uh, travesties of life. You know, when our, our children or our grandchildren make decisions that we know they're going to regret. And we have to, you know, we have to just watch almost helplessly from the sideline. No one is guaranteed anything. You know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, much less, you know, 10 or 20 years down the road. And so it should be of no surprise that when you read in the Bible, a lot of the Bible was written in the midst of crisis, in the midst of turmoil. It was written out of out of a, a sense of desperation because people have always lived with uncertain Futures. Life is uncertain. And so as a result, the one thing we need most of all is a place that we can anchor, a, a place that we know is secure, uh, something that we know can be counted on. So life, first of all, is, uh, is uncertain. The next thing we need to, to remember and the thing that we can take away is 
evil is real. Again, in Jesus says, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. It, it's interesting, you know, these people were at the temple and part of the worship process was to sacrifice an animal for, for their sins. And what this is saying is, is while these people were offering up the sacrifices of animals, their own blood became part of that sacrifice. When they were, were murdered, they were struck down by, by Pilate's people. You know, um, when, when we look at just kind of the things going on in the world and uh, things like tornadoes and earthquakes, you know, th those are tragic. They, they're, they're horrible experiences, but they're not evil. It's just part of living on this earth. Uh, but when, when we have to deal with something that's the result of a human decision, that's, that's when it really tears at us. You know, that, that's when we see uh, evil raise its ugly head. When, when airliners fly into to buildings and, and, and to know that that was intentionally done, that's evil. That, that, is, that is a very real um, presence of, of demonic activity. That reminds us that, that there, there is such a thing as wickedness. There is such a thing as evil. And when, when a person operates in life apart from Jesus Christ, that's what they have. That, that is all they possess is wickedness. Jeremiah was right when he said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You know, in essence, what, what Jeremiah is saying is we, we, we can't even begin to probe to the depths of, of the evil. Evil is real, but evil doesn't have the last word. Again, when, when Jesus Christ enters a person's life, when, when Jesus Christ takes over in a person's life, we no longer have to be guided. We no longer have to be controlled by evil. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So the first thing we need to remember is life is uncertain. Evil is real. But then the next thing that I want you to remember is God is good. Uh, Psalm 46, God is our mighty fortress always ready to help in times of trouble. Let that sink in. God loves right. God loves righteousness. And so we won't be afraid. Let the earth tremble and the mountains tumble into the, the deepest sea. Let the oceans roam, roar and foam and its raging waves shake the mountains. You know, um, here the psalmist is, is, is stating, you know, that there's a magnitude, there's an intensity of, of trouble, of turmoil, and yet God is our mighty fortress. God is the one who steps up when, when there's trouble in our lives. 
You know, we have no trouble accepting the fact that life is uncertain and evil is real. But a lot of people get hung up. This is where they get stuck when they they see the wrong, they see the hurt, see the evil. Uh, they, they, They have a problem with the fact that how can God be good if all of this evil exists? How, how can those both exist in, in the same frame? But the reality is, is this is where we take God by faith. I used this analogy earlier, and, and I've used it before, but when you think of God, think of an onion. All right? You, I hope that got your attention. With, with God... Just like with an onion, when you peel that top layer off of an onion, what do you get? Another layer just like it. And you peel that layer off and what do you get? Another layer just like it. And you peel that layer off, what do you get? Another layer just like it. That's the way you need to understand God. God is good. God is just. God is righteous. God is love. God is God is supreme. You know, it, it no matter How you think of God, no matter how deep you dig, you're going to always get the exact same thing. God is someone you can count on. And so when life doesn't make sense, life is uncertain, when evil seems to be everywhere and present in, in power, and you look and you go, I don't understand how God can be good. Because God is good. And it doesn't matter if evil is present. God is still good. There's this little thing called free will. And because all of us are wicked to our core, apart from Jesus Christ, people, you know, we we express our wickedness if Jesus hasn't entered into our lives. Paul just told us in Romans that we are to to overcome evil by living righteous lives. And so what we need to understand is that everything that's taking place in the world is a result of man exercising his free will. That doesn't mean that God's not good. You know, if you want, I'm going to save you a lot of time and a lot of effort Here's the result of my seminary theology class. Evil is real. God is good. There you have it. You you just passed seminary theology. Wow. So how can God be good if evil is real? Because we accept by faith that God is good. And as a result... We understand that it, it, will, it will affect us. You know, evil, evil has its effect on us. But there is a, a sacred mystery that takes place when we stop and, and, and pay attention and understand. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. Notice that. He doesn't say, you know, blessed are the happy. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we struggle, when we go through the hardships of life, when when evil 
comes about in our lives, we can, we can rest assured that when we look to God, God is good. And because God is good, we can experience comfort even in the midst of hardship. Tragic and heartbreaking things are going to happen because we live in a sinful, broken world. But praise the Lord, God is good. You know, and, and so Alistair Begg, I, I hope that you all follow his preaching. He, I think he's a, a, a very insightful man. And he said, more spiritual progress made through failure, disappointment, hard times, and tears than will be discovered as a result of success, laughter, easy times, and trivialities. Uh, Charles Stanley says it this way, any issue that drives me to my knees to seek God is a blessing and not a curse. That's, that's so critical for us to understand. You're not being picked on by God when you suffer hardship. You suffer hardship because we are living in a broken creation. And we are all... You know, we are all victims of sin. We are all cursed by sin. And so it, it's critical to understand that bad things that happen can either be a, a source of, of connection to God or it can be a place where we get broken. You know, remember Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to be saved. I need for you to hear this very carefully this morning. You may, you may not think that you are rich, but you are. According to the, 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 the whole world, you are filthy rich. Understand that. And because you are filthy rich, you need to recognize that it's harder for a rich man to experience salvation than it would be for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle. What that means is, is rich people don't have to worry when they come into hardships because they can manage their way out of it financially. When, when hardship comes to a rich person, they're able to figure out a way around it. They're able to, to manage it. They're able to, to get the help that's needed. A poor person doesn't have that. A poor person just finds themselves saying, I got nothing, and so God, I turn to you because you are my only option. That's why it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Because rich people can buy their way out of their problems. They can, they can distract themselves. They can figure out some other alternative other than coming to grips with their connection to God. So suffering is not your enemy. If suffering will push you or drag you, screaming and kicking if necessary, but drag you to God. God's goodness can always be trusted even when we don't understand it, even when we don't understand the pain. Now, um, over in 1 Corinthians 13, it's known as the love chapter, and we always just read the, the first little section of, of, of 1 Corinthians 13. But when you get down to verse 12, Paul says, Now 
we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But when I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. We don't have the full picture. We can't have the full picture we are, we are cloaked in sin. We are cloaked in the limitation of, of our reality. We are, we, you know, we, we live in a three-dimensional type of experience, okay? God has so much that we don't even begin to understand. We can't even begin to see. We can't even begin to understand. And so when we go through hardships, we might want to say, well, it just, it's, God must not like me. He does, he's mad at me because I'm having hardships. No, you're having hardships because you're a sinner. You're having hardships because you live in a broken world. And so as a result, instead of getting mad at God for not making your life perfect, what you do is you come to God and say, God, I am broken and I realize I'm broken and I realize that I don't see things clearly like it tells me in 1 Corinthians. And so I'm trusting you because I know you are good. That, that's how we handle that. The next thing, first of all, life is uncertain. Secondly, evil is real. Third, God is good. Fourth, hope is available. You know, God doesn't... Seeing to it that he doesn't give us all of the information. God has just said, trust me. Just trust me. And so when we trust God, what we get is this thing called hope. And what hope is, hope is not where we go, oh, gee, Willikers, golly, I hope this happens, man. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope it turns out good. That, that's not hope. Hope is, I know because God said so, and it hasn't happened yet, but I know it's going to. That's what hope really looks like from a biblical standpoint. And again, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if God is, who on earth could possibly be against us? I mean, seriously, if, if I have God in my corner and I know that God is good and God is righteous and God is just and God is loving and, and God is all of those things and, and I, I have been promised by the word of God that when I place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ that I have God, that I am adopted by God and I, I am now part of God's family, well, in good grief, what, what possibly could exist anywhere, anyhow, that could come up against that? Nothing. Nothing at all. So if God is for me, who could be against me? So your, your friends, your family may turn your, their back on you. You know, you may lose everything by the world's standards, but that doesn't mean that God abandoned you. Your faith, your trust, your hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the world because we know that this world is destined for ruin. It's never going to live up to, to the expectation. So don't, don't, don't expect that. If God is for you, that's your hope. You're placing your trust, your faith in God, not in circumstances. 
I don't know if any of you have ever read any of the writing of Henry Nouwen. Um, he was a Dutch priest, a college professor, theologian, wrote a lot of books, like 40 books. And he told this story about um, during war, there was a, a guy who was captured and he was carried off as a prisoner of war. And because he was isolated from everything he knew, he was carried off into a foreign country and he, he lost all hope. He hadn't heard from home. He had no idea of anything. He was completely cut off and isolated until one day he finally gets this letter from home. And that letter is all beaten and worn because it's, it's been following him. And so he opens up that letter and inside, you know, he had been worried about home and worried about family and all of those things. But in that letter, basically the letter said, everything is okay here. We're looking forward to the day when you come home. We will be so happy to see you. And that changed everything about his perspective. All of a sudden, instead of the unknown, he knew that when this was all over, he was going to have family that he could go back to. And, and, and so even though he was still a captive, even though he was still eating the same meager rations and having to do the same hard labor, everything about his perspective changed. And that's the way we need to understand that this life is going to be tough. It's going to beat us up. It's not going to be easy. We're going to have hardships. But we have a hope that is beyond this world. That hope is in Jesus Christ and what he promised for us. Jesus said in John 14, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We understand this life is not going to be pretty. Quit expecting it to be. You know, if, if you don't have high expectations, you're not going to be disappointed. Understand it's hard. There is evil everywhere. And so as a result, place your hope where it needs to be on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Don't place your hope on something else. You know, that, that's, that's the way we need to understand. The, the man um, when peace like a river attendeth my ways, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's the mindset. I, I'm not, for the sake of time, I won't go into his story, but, but just understand that um, he had been devastated in life devastated and yet he understood his hope was not in this life his hope was in Jesus Christ we have a hope that is greater than the sorrow of this life eternity in the presence of God is our ultimate hope no suffering no grief no loss you know this this life is going to deal you a bad hand, you know, it, using, I, can preachers talk about gambling while they're, I, I, whatever. Uh, you know, in this life, it's not going to be pretty. 
Just expect that. So that brings us to the next thing. You have a choice. You know, we can't control what happens. We have no saying over what's going to happen in our lives. We, we can control, though, how we respond to what happens. Let's go back to the story where Jesus is told about these people that are killed. In verse 2, he says, do you think those Galileans were sinners than all the other people from Galilee? In the Jewish way of thinking at this point in time, what they believed is that if bad things happened to you, it was because you had done something wrong. And so when something like this would occur, they'd all sit back and have conversations over whether it was those people that sinned or some relative or something like that. And so what Jesus is doing is he's confronting that way of thinking, and he's saying, you need to understand that if you, do, you know, quit thinking that way and instead change the way you're thinking, understand that you need to get right with God. Use this as a, as a, a momentum builder to help you get right with God. And that, let's bring that into to our, our, you know, our, our situation whether it's a natural or a man-made problem, um, when, when bad things happen, we have a couple of ways that we can look at it. If something happens, we can go, oh, wow, I, I'm glad that's not me. Or we can think, wow, that could be me. And, and you know, circle the word that Jesus uses there, repent. At its core, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, when things happen around you, understand that it could happen to anybody, and so you need to make sure your life is right. Because if your life is not right, then you're in wrong relationship with God. Jesus took this story and he turned it to a call for repentance. You know, you have a choice. Choose to change your relationship with God. Deepen your trust in Him. Allow the uncertainty, allow the fear, allow the brokenness, allow the pain, all of those things, allow those to drive you closer to God. Every time you hear about a travesty, whether it's a, a flood or a tornado or a bomb going off or a murder or whatever it is, Use that to push you closer to God. Cling closer to Him. You know, if, if you're experiencing heartache, if you're experiencing difficulty, turn to God. God is good. God, the onion concept here. God is love. God is righteous. God is all of those, those attributes of God. And so allow God to penetrate into your life. I love the, the quote by Rick Warren. He says, never waste your pain. And, and that is so true that when you experience pain, when you experience hardship, use that to push you closer to God. Use that to, to help you develop a deeper relationship with God. You know, you have a choice. When something bad happens in your life, you can say, oh, I'm mad at God. Why did he let this happen to me? Why me? What we're basically saying is, I'm more important. I'm God in my life. When we have that kind of mentality, what we're really saying is, I'm God and He better, you know, and everything ought to make me happy. Well, that's 
nonsense. We're not God. God's God. So if you, you know, even if you have prayed and asked Christ to be in your life, that doesn't mean that you need to quit repenting. You need to repent. Every single one of us have sin in our lives. We are filled with lust and greed and adultery and gluttony and idolatry and on and on and on. Every single one of us deal with sin in our lives. So when you, when you experience difficulty and hardship, come closer to God. Turn your heart to God. Repent of the sin that is in your life. And just after the 911 event, Billy Graham was speaking at the National Cathedral in Washington, and he talked about the fact that we have a choice. He says, this is a quote, but now we have a choice whether to implode and disintegrate emotionally and spiritually as a people and a nation, or whether we choose to become stronger through all of this struggle to rebuild on a solid foundation. And I believe that we are in the process of starting to rebuild on that foundation. That foundation is our trust in God. God has told us in his word time and time again to repent, to turn from our sins. It is a constant theme from Genesis to Revelation. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Second Chronicles is a verse that is often read and rarely followed. In Second Chronicles 7, beginning with verse 13, it says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Again, great scripture if you obey it. But if we sit here and go, yeah, boy, uh -huh, that boy, that's sure true. Those people sure do need to repent. No, we need to repent. We are the sinners that this is talking about. We are the ones who need to turn from our wickedness. We are the ones that love the world more than Jesus Christ. And as a result, our nation is under judgment. And as long as we continue to be stiff-necked, just like the children of Israel, our nation is going to continue to decline into ruin. If you're not happy with what's happening in, in Washington, D.C., it's your fault and it's my fault because we are sinners and instead of repenting and getting right with God, we continue down our merry way. We continue to follow the ways of the world and then we stand back and say, boy, things sure are getting bad. Someone ought to do something. It's in our hands. We have a choice. So today as we... Remember September 11th, 2001. Let's, instead of having this mentality of, man, you know, something needs to be done, let's do it. Let's get serious for the first time ever and repent. 
Let's get serious and turn from our wicked ways and allow God to truly heal this nation. Life is uncertain. Evil is real. God is good. You have a choice. Let's pray. Jesus, we desperately need You more than anything else as individuals and as a nation. We need You. Please help us. Father, I pray for a repentant spirit. I pray for brokenness. I pray for a turning to You. And Lord, let it begin in my own heart. I, I, I don't put myself apart from anybody. I am a sinner. And I am in desperate need of You. God, turn us, please. You have given us so much grace, so much love, so much in blessing. And we have, we have failed completely to be the people that You have called. My prayer is that there will be a true turning in our hearts. Not just a temporary um, little ripple, but Lord, a true turning. Be glorified, Father, because we are obedient to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.